So we're going to explore the Kutis Sikhs, volume 16, the Sikha of Tetzabah, Zayin Adar, extraordinary Sikha on many levels, many levels. Now, this is a very long Sikha. And if one is not careful, they can get confused and they can, it can feel disjointed. So what I chose to do is separate it out as two Sikhs. First, I'm going to do the middle part of the Sikha, which is a separate discussion about why the month of Adar is so joyous and the special significance of Zion Adar. And then I'm going to step back and do the beginning and end, which are connected, sort of the questions and the answers of the Sikha, which seem to be a separate theme, the theme of Titzavah in relationship with Zion Adar. However, that is now illuminated by what we did first. However, by breaking it up in this way, we can do the first part of the Sikha, it stands alone, there's no confusion, you don't have to remember the questions. And then once that's done and you have it nailed down, we move on to the questions and answers, uh, which is built on what we already know. So the conversation begins with the Talmudic statement. We all know the story when Haman drew lots and they fell out in the month of Adar, the languages in the Talmud, Samach Simcha Gedola, he rejoiced tremendously because he said, this is the month in which Moses passed, Moses died, the great Jewish leader. And Haman said, that's fantastic. And he saw it as a good omen for his, for his evil plan. Says the Talmud, but he was unaware that on the seventh of Adar, Moses died, but on the seventh of Adar, Moses was also born. And therefore, rather than it being a bad month, it's actually a very blessed month for the Jewish people, which in fact is what it turned out to be. So right away, we see a tremendous connection between the fact that Moses was born on the seventh of Adar with the mazel, with the good luck for the Jewish people in that month. And then we have the Talmudic concept that an Adar was supposed to have joy. So we are looking at the language of the Talmud. And the Talmud teaches us this rule in an interesting fashion. I'm reading, just as when we enter of, we minimize in joy, so too when we enter Adar, we increase in joy. That's a Talmudic line. Comes along Rashi, the commentator, and Rashi says, apparently he's trying to be helpful, that's Rashi's job. He's trying to explain something that is problematic. Apparently there's something wrong with that Talmudic statement and it requires a Rashi. Says Rashi, because these are miraculous days for the Jews, Purim and Pesach. So let's discuss this piece of Talmud, putting aside the top piece of Talmud for now, just focusing on this piece of Talmud and the Rashi. What is the Talmud trying to say? What's wrong with that Talmud? It seems to be very straightforward that, you know, in the month of Av, you minimize joy, in the month of Adi, you increase joy. Why do we need a Rashi? Everyone knows why Adi, you increase joy, because it's a perp. Well, apparently there's a problem with that Talmudic statement and Rashi is needed. And what does Rashi say? These are miraculous days for the Jews, Purim and Pesach. So the rabbi asks three primary questions. Number one, what kind of business is this that an entire month becomes joyous? We have many holidays of the Jewish people and including holidays of salvation, like Passover and Hanukkah. And we don't make the entire month a month of joy. Nowhere is it written that the entire month of Kislev is joyous. The entire month of Nisan is joyous. We don't say Tachnun for various reasons. 
but not because of Pesach's salvation makes the whole month joyous. So what's this about? Purim is one day, two days if you count Shushan Purim. Why the whole month? And the language is, when you enter the month, aha, you got to be happy. What's this thing with the month? We find it with no other holiday. Furthermore, this idea of the month is emphasized in the Megillah. The Megillah doesn't just say the day which was transformed upside down from bad to good, but the Megillah further says, the month which was transformed from bad to good. So we see there's something about this month, and this has... Um, Bearing even in halacha and Jewish law that if that technically one can do the mitzvah of reading the Megillah anytime throughout the month of Adar. Back in the day when people couldn't read the Megillah and it was difficult to get to a Jewish community, if you were in a Jewish community anytime during that month and you can hear the Megillah, so be it. So the whole month is like part of the holiday. Why? What is this concept that a whole month is joyous, even to the point of being able to fulfill the mitzvahs of the holiday throughout an entire month just because of one day? Again, we don't find it by any other holiday. That's question one. Question two on the bottom of the screen. What's the meaning of just as, so too? Take a look at the Talmud. Just as when we enter Av, we minimize in joy, so too. When we enter Av, then we increase in joy. Why complicate it? What's the so, just as? Why not just straightforward? The Talmud should say two statements. When you enter Av, you minimize joy. When you enter Av, you maximize, you increase joy. What's the just as, so too? This is the Talmud. This is Torah. This is classic oral Torah. Every word of Torah and the Talmud of the sages is perfect and precise, as if we heard it from Moses himself, from God himself. And the Rebbe takes it extremely seriously. The Talmud is clearly telling us something. It's complicating this. Just as we have Av, so too we have Adar. That's question two. And question three, which is perhaps the most difficult of all, what is Rashi trying to say? How is he being helpful by saying, aha, you know why Adar is a joyous time? Because we have miraculous days for the Jews, Purim and Pesach. Really? Pesach is an Adar? Pesach is an Adar? Kapitari struggle with this, Rashi. They struggle. Some want to say that, that there's something special about Adar, which is why the whole month becomes joyous, not just the day itself, because it begins a succession of miracles. We have Purim, and then we have Pesach, and therefore... We should have a lot of joy uh, in Adar because, you know, it's piling up. We're coming up to salvations. But if that's the case, then uh, the month of Nisan should also be joyous. In fact, there are those who want to argue that, that both months are joyous because of this Rashi. But Rashi doesn't say it, and nowhere do we find this in the Talmud, that the month of Nisan also gets this joy. The Talmud says clearly that the joy is only because of the month of Adar gets the joy. So what is Rashi saying? Purim and Pesach? How is this helpful? And what does it mean? It says the Rebbe that the, the Rashi is answering the original question that we had. What's this business with a joyous month? We have joyous days. We don't have joyous months. What's the, why does the whole month become contaminated, if you will, in a good way, from one day's miracle? Says the Talmud, this is the Rebbe's reading in the Talmud. Well, wait a minute, let's analyze it in the negative. We have sad days, but only in one instance of that sad day contaminate the whole month. Does the whole month become sad because of one sad day? 
And that's Tisha B'Av. We don't do that on the 17th of Tammuz, which was a sad day. We don't do it on the 10th of Tavis, which was a sad day. We do it only on Tisha B'Av, uh, where the whole month becomes a sad day. So the Rebbe says what the Talmud is saying is, just as when Av comes in, there's something about Av, that even though the sadness really occurred on one day, suddenly the whole month becomes sad, so too Adar will have the same power, that even though it's one day of joy, its joy affects the entire month, that immediately as it enter it, it's joyous. Explains the Rebbe, what is the common denominator between the two? Says the Rebbe, take a look at the sad side first. Tisha B'Av, number one, it is, it is uh, multiple occurrences. Both temples were destroyed. And number two, it was predetermined that this day should be predisposed, so to speak, and prone for such an occurrence. How so? Because even before the, the first temple was destroyed, way back to biblical times, when the spies came back and they cried on that night, it happened to be Tisha B'Av. If you do the calculation of, 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 of when the spies left and when they came back, it was Tisha B'Av. And the Torah says, Vayifku who the people cried on that night, and God said, you're crying for no reason. You're crying because I'm giving you a land of blessing and milk and honey. You will, God, you will, you will cry on that night for good reason. And in fact, and that became Tisha B'Av, and this is a famous poem that we say on Tisha B'Av during our... Uh, our kinnis, our lamentations, on this night, my children will cry and they will wail. So this night became infamous since time immemorial. And that has the power to affect the month. When there's just a sad thing that happens in a month, like for example, Tammuz has the 17th of Tammuz and 10th of Tabis, etc. The third of Tishrei. We don't make the whole month sad. Why should we? But when we have a sad day that has these two occurring, these two uh, ingredients, which are really interrelated. That A, it's not just a one-time thing, but it's multiple occurrences. And B, and perhaps related to the fact that it's predisposed to negativity. And it's like written in the stars way back when, since prehistoric times, that this is supposed to be a bad day. And we're sort of waiting for it. It affects the month. I think the logic here is that a month is a mazel. Every month has a mazel, a luck, or a zodiac sign, a constellation, if you will, so when do we say that this is a month where the whole month is, is not good? When something happened on a, a day in that month, which wasn't just, so to speak, happenstance, it happened to be on that day, but this is a reoccurrence. And furthermore, going back to a predestiny of that day. So then you start to conclude, this is written in the stars. This is a month that's sad. Not a day, but a month. The whole month, the time period, the mazel, the constellation, this is a bad time. Proof is that there's a day in that month where things bad happen time and again. And actually, it was predisposed for it forever. And that's what Tisha B'Av is. Says the Talmud. Translate it now on the good side. The month of Av is a salvation. The month of Adar is Purim, salvation. There are other salvations. We have Hanukkah with Pesach. And yet Purim is the only one which affects the entire month. Says the Rebbe, let me tell you why. Why does the whole month of Adar become a happy day? A happy month. Because there's another day in Adar which has these two qualities of A and B that are highlighted on the screen. Two, uh, uh, two qualities, multiple occurrences for goodness and 
a predisposition for goodness, for blessing for the Jewish people. And what day is that? The seventh of Adar. Seventh of Adar is the day that Moses was born. Since Moses was born on that day, so it gave birth to multiple positive occurrences and salvations, namely Passover, the day that Moses freed us from Egypt as God's emissary, and Purim, the day that miraculously turned around from bad to good. Thanks to the aforementioned that it's that Moses' birthday in that month is what empowered the month to be a lucky month. So Moses' birthday is represents a double good occurrence, while at the same time it also represents a predisposition of this month for goodness. Proof is that uh, Haman was wrong and he thought that it's predisposed negatively because of Moses' death, and really, in fact, uh, it was predisposed positively. So we find this concept of predisposition in this month for goodness, and therefore the whole month becomes a happy month. With this, the Rebbe answers all three questions. I want to just point out this is so innovative and so mind-blowing. Ask any child that goes to yeshiva who's 10 years old or 8 years old, and ask him or her, why is it true that that when other comes, we rejoice? And every child will say, Purim. Every adult will say, Purim. Comes along the Rebbe and says, that's not really what it is. Because if that's the case, we should have the same thing in Hanukkah. We should have the same thing in Pesach. And we don't. The Rebbe innovates here. And he's basing it on his on his. Uh, on his the yukim on his uh, uh, insightful insights into the Talmud language and into the Rashi that no it's not because Purim that the month becomes happy but because of Zion Adar but what do you mean Purim yeah Purim is a day of salvation celebrate the day but why the month Pesach is also a day of salvation not only Exodus but the splitting of the sea and yet though we don't make the month of celebration we, the month doesn't become joyous just because of one day Purim is a wrong answer, says the Rebbe. On a deeper level, the answer is the seventh of Adar. Because that's not just another joyous day. That's a day that brought about positive occurrences time and again, because thanks to that day, we have Pesach, Pesach through Moses liberating us. And then we have Purim. Because Moses' birth turned that month lucky, which is by continuation, by which, by the way, these are the two main salvations of the Jewish people. If you think about the two days without which we would not be here as a people, God forbid, Purim and Pesach. There's no other day that comes close. And both are thanks to the seventh of Adar. Both are thanks to Moses. Pesach, because Moses physically took us out of Egypt as God's messenger. And Purim, because it's Moses' birthday that turned it into a lucky day. And Haman was wrong for saying it's a sad month because Moses died. He was wrong, and that's why it flipped over, because he didn't know the other side of it, that Moses was also born on that day, meaning to say Moses' birth is a predisposition for a lucky day, which by extension means it's a lucky time period, it's a lucky constellation, it's a lucky sign, it's a lucky month, it's a happy month. So this is extremely innovative. That brings joy for the whole month, not Purim, Moses' birthday. And with this, we answer all three questions. Question one, why the entire month is joyous? Because we have in this month, not just a holiday, but we have the birth of Moses, which brings multiple occurrences of joy. Purim and Pesach, and predisposition, as mentioned. It answers question two, why is the Talmud so wordy in saying, just as Ab, so too Adar, 
There's no extra words. Just as Av, we have the same question. Why does the whole month get filled with sadness because of one sad day? Because it had multiple occurrences and a predisposition for negativity. Adar has the same. Every word in the Talmud and the Talmudic statement is critical to bring home this point. And the icing on the cake is the answer to question three. This Rashi, which seems so quizzical, so strange, is really hitting the nail on the head. Rashi is really trying to explain the Talmud. Why a joy for a whole month because of one day? Because these are miraculous days for the Jews, the whole month, the whole time period. Purim and Pesach, what he means is not Purim and Pesach. Pesach is in a different month. What he means is Zion Adar, the birth of Moses, which brought about Purim and Pesach, multiple occurrences. Hence, it's a joyous month. This is like beyond extraordinary. So this is the, um, the middle part of the Sicha. Very, very gishmak, how the Rebbe innovates. The whole reason why there's joy on the month of Adar and why the whole month gets filled with it, just like Av in the negative, explaining every word in the Talmud and the Rashi to be just precise. Uh, the concept of the predisposition of negativity or positivity highlighting, when we walk away from this section of the Sikha, highlighting Zion Adar as the greatest day, the greatest day. It's the birth of Moses, the Nasi, the Rebbe, the Jewish leader. And uh, it, it, that means it's a day that's lucky and predisposed for goodness to the point that had Haman known, he would never have chosen. Okay. So set that aside. We now move on, so to speak, to we open another window, but it will be related in a second. We can stop right here. You can stop right here and you have much of the sicha. But then there's another piece. The Rebbe says that uh, the portion of Tetzave always comes out on the seventh of Adar. And we know that even though it's two calendars, the cycle of the Torah portions and the cycle of the months, nevertheless, we know from the Holy Shalah that there has to be a hint at a connection. And there's a connection brought down in classic sources and even halachic sources that the portion of the Tzavah comes next to Zion Adar because it's the day of Moses' passing. And that's hinted in the portion of the Tzavah, the only Torah portion since Moses' birth that his name is not mentioned. Moses' name will be mentioned in every single Torah portion from Shemot. Prior to Shemot, he wasn't born yet, but from Shemot, until pretty much the end of the entire Torah, Moses appears in every Torah portion with the exception of this portion. Even though it alludes to Moses, the whole thing, God is talking to Moses, but it doesn't say his name. It says, Vi'ata, you, you should do, and you should do this, and you should do that. It's replete with instruction, you, 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 but nowhere does it say his name. His name being omitted, it's a sign of his passing. He's missing, the seventh of Adar. Just parenthetically, some might know that it's not really true that every single Torah portion after Shemos has Moses' name. There are some portions in the book of Dvarim Deuteronomy which don't. However, that doesn't count because over there it's Moses speaking. It's his narrative. And therefore, he's speaking. There's no need for him to mention his name. He is talking. So that is just uh, on an aside. But other than that, this is the only portion where Moses' name is omitted. It's an omission indicating his passing. In fact, some people fast on the yard site of Mo, on the seventh of Adar. Great people fast on the yard site because it's a sad day. 
So the Rebbe asked two questions. In light of the above significance of Moses' birth, it's such a mind-blowing day. It caused Pesach and Purim. It caused salvation. So how come we only have a negative hint to Moses' death? We don't have a hint to Moses' birth in the portion of Tetzavah. We have a hint of his death by his name being omitted. What about his birth? That's not as important. We just finished learning that his birth was a catalyst for tremendous things. It's arguably the most important day of the entire calendar. So that we shouldn't honor in the Torah portion of the Tzavah. And question two, and it's an extension, it's the same question really. Uh, in other words, why we only commemorate his passing by fasting and we do not celebrate his birth. Jewish custom is that we commemorate uh, not most people, but you know, certain people, certain uh, very pious people, they fast on that day. And we don't find the custom that some people should do a celebration on that day. That's, that's not fair. And if we didn't think of his birthday as so significant, no, but we do. We just finished talking about that saved the day by Haman, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, it's the father of all salvations. How come? So these are the two questions, which really, if you think about it, they're really one and the same. How come? both in the Torah portion of the Tzavah omitting his name to honor his passing. And in the custom commemorated his passing by fasting, we don't have a counterpart of some commemoration or practice celebrating his birth. It's a good question. And the Rebbe answers. The Rebbe answers. Clearly his birthday is usually significant as we just explained. The Rebbe is going to explain that the passing and the birth are intertwined. There's a statement that's brought in a footnote. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of, of, a, of, a, of a celebration. Obviously, we should all go to Simchis and Nishdugadach. We shouldn't have sadness. But why is this verse there in Kohelet and Ecclesiastes? It's making a point that when does a person culminate their work on earth? When do we know if they're good or bad? On the day of the passing. In a sense, if we understand life as a mission and a purpose, the day of the passing is not just sad, it's actually a culmination of the day of the birth, especially by righteous people. Which in a way, when does their full energy get released in the world, not on the day of birth, but on the day of the passing? A, because we don't yet know how they're gonna uh, turn out, if they're gonna fulfill their mission, they haven't yet passed. But B, the righteous soul is so giant it contains divine light that's totally uninhibited. And yet, because it's in a body, it is limited, as explained in detail in Tanya. And therefore, its manifestation cannot reach everyone. Perhaps there is some facet of limitation. And when is that energy released and explodes without any limitation? It can reach everyone, everywhere, in all time and place. It's after the passing. So in a sense, the passing of the tzaddik is actually a celebration of the tzaddik's life. I'm not going to say it's a happy day, it's a sad day. However, we toast it, we say lachayim, we call it a hilula, which really means a wedding, mystically. There's some truth that this is by every person, really, the passing is the, the fulfillment of their life, or by a righteous person, by a giant soul. The birth is unbelievable, but the birth doesn't represent the full release of their energy. And therefore, the birth is commemorated, is honored, it's sort of wrapped together with the passing to the extent by some people like Moses and the Mittler Rebbe. The two days are one and the same on the calendar, but by every tzaddik, even if it's not factually that way in the simple sense, it's still true in the spiritual sense that their days are complete and that their yurtzai 
completes their birthday and vice versa, um, as the sages have taught us. And therefore, says the Rebbe, both things are true. It's true that the birth of Moses, the seventh of Adar, is huge. It's gigantic, as we explained in the first part of the Sikha. It's also true, though, that we only honor and commemorate in Jewish custom and in the portion of Tetzavah, the omission, the passing of Moses. Because therein lies also the celebration of his birth. How so? As said before, you can't really celebrate the birth of the tzaddik. It's too great. It's too awesome. How is it commemorated in the fasting, for example? It's a fast which is more about tshuva, about coming close to Hashem and using the potency of the day than it is about praying for protection from negativity. Sometimes we fast on a sad day to pray for protection from negativity. But there's a fast that has an undertone of joy, and that is a fast of a yard site, among others, when that fast is not God save us, but God help us to do tshuva. Because, and that is, uh, it's really not all negative. It's a, a fasting, it's a tshuva to utilize the potency of the day. So it's both sides of the coin at once. It's a passing indicating the power of the birth of the tzaddik, which is now culminated in full revelation and after their passing, as said earlier, and therefore we fast, so we do tshuva with joy. It's a joyous fast. Similarly, the omission of Moses' name in the Torah portion is not just an omission, it's also an elevation. It's true his name is not there, but God refers to him for the first time as you. Essence, speaking further than the name, the name is a formality. Here, God bypasses formalities and addresses Moses directly. You, representing the essence, where this is Moses' greatest moment, um, meaning to say the, that when the person, when the righteous person passes, it's a sad, happy day. It's almost like a bittersweet. It's a culmination of an unbelievable life. And therefore, we, we're, we're done with names. We have essence. We have full release of the potency. Of course, his name doesn't show up because he passed, and that's an undertone of negativity and sadness, but his name also doesn't show up because he's graduated name. A name means a finite, limited amount of energy that can be formalized in a name. But what we have is you. We have the essence of the soul of this great giant tzaddik, which has no limitations, so the negative becomes a positive. Just to analyze that for one more second, the Rebbe explains, and I have it here at the bottom of the screen, why don't we really commemorate it Plainly, why don't we just have a, a happy celebration for Moses' birth? And the Rebbe explains along the lines that we said already that there's certain things that are so happy, that are so beyond this world that you cannot celebrate them. The example the Rebbe gives even from Jewish law and from Jewish custom is Shabbos versus Yantif. Shabbos is a much holier day than Yantif, there's no question about it. And yet, Shabbos, we don't have a celebration of joy. On Yantif, we do. Joy means revealed manifestation. Shabbos, we have pleasure. Pleasure is hidden. Pleasure is quiet. There's no joy. It's not open. It's not obvious because this is beyond. Shabbos is too beyond for it to be felt in a way of joy, which joy represents. It's, it, it's manifest. We can explain it. We can realize. We can recognize its greatness. You can't recognize Shabbos. It's God's treasure. Whereas Yantif, much lesser level of holiness for various reasons. And that's a day of joy. That joy can, that, that holiness can be rejoiced, it can be revealed, it can be fully experienced. 
So sometimes something that's higher cannot be celebrated. The birth of the tzaddik cannot be celebrated. It's too high. And as we said before, this goes hand in hand with the fact that the soul of the tzaddik is primarily mostly hidden until they're passing when it's manifest because now the tzaddik loses the limitation of the body and the essence becomes revealed. So again, based on the first part of the sikha, where the rabbi points out how powerful the birth of the day of Moses is, that it's pivotal and key. It's not just a side note at all. It's the cause of Purim and Pesach and the whole joy of the month of Adam. The rabbi then is able to explain how the fact that in Jewish custom we commemorate and seem to honor and make note only of his passing and not his birth, both in the fact that the portion of the Tzavah omits his name and the fact that people have a custom to fast on his birthday. And the Rebbe says, not because the birthday is insignificant, because the birthday is beyond significant and it's impossible for it to be manifest. And therefore it's manifest on his day of passing because they both really become one and the same because the day of the passing is when the power of the birth is fully released. And therefore the passing actually is not all bad. It's terrible in a sense. And by the same token, it's empowered by the birth and, and the energy is released. And hence, we have really all these negatives and a positive. It's a fast day, but not about fear of retribution, but to inspire the potency of teshuva with joy. And also the name is omitted. It's true because of Moses' death. But here we graduate the name and talk to the essence. Sort of parenthetically, even though it's not, the Rebbe points out that there's a question. Okay, I'm pausing because what we're going to learn now is a new separate section, of course, related to the aforementioned, but separate. There's a question. When Adar comes, we increase in joy. Does that also apply to the first month of Adar or only to the second? So friends, before this sikha, a person would say the second, because what's the joy of Adar? It's Purim. Purim's in the second Adar. First Adar only has Purim cut. However, once we learn this sikha, we know it's got to be both Adars, including the first of Adar. The first Adar, Why? Because we know Moses was born and passed on the same day. And we know that his passing is commemorated by the juxtaposition of that day with the portion of Tetzavah where his name is omitted. And the portion of Tetzavah on a leap year is juxtaposed with the first Adar, not the second. So clearly, and commentaries even say this from various classic sources, that Moses' birthday in Yartzeit was the first Adar, not the second. And therefore, if the joy of Adar is for Purim, it should be the second month alone, but if the joy of Adar, according to the Rebbe, is the first, is, is, the, is the birth of Moses, the first month of Adar should also be joyous and perhaps primarily joyous, which is a fantastic thing. I want to just add something that is precious to me. And this is footnote 76. The Rebbe says, again, quoting the Talmud, which we had right at the beginning of the Sikha. When Haman's lot fell in Adar, he rejoiced greatly knowing it's the month of Moses' death, but he didn't know 
The seventh Adar was Moses' death, and the seventh Adar was Moses' birth. Rebbe asks three questions about this piece of Talmud and answers it in light of the above explanation. Which explanation? That the righteous souls are so gigantic that their birthday can hardly spell out their greatness. Their passing does, because the energy is released. Ever wonder why after Gimel Tammuz, when everybody was sure that, uh, that, that the, the Chabad is pretty much uh, on its last leg, and instead it exploded in every single way in terms of the outreach of Chabad houses all over the world and in bigger and better ways, and in terms of the level of chassidishkeit and scholarship of the yeshiva bachrim and chassidim in general. Uh, it, it, has, it has not gone down. It has multiplied manyfold. And it makes no sense. No historian would ever imagine it. A movement which is clearly based on the inspiration of, of the Rebbe. It's not based on, uh, on, on anything else. And yet, the movement of shlichus, the movement of chassidus, everything, it's all based on the Rebbe's inspiration, the Rebbe's persona. Yes, thankfully, we do have the miracle of videos and, and printed works of the Rebbe, but still, no one, every prophet of doom said that this is pretty much the beginning of the end, and it is exactly the opposite. So now you know why. You probably already knew, because it's in Tanya, chapter 20, uh, 28, 27, 28, in the Geras HaKodesh, that the energies manifest, because now it's released. It's too great. The passing of a tzaddik is when he first begins to live. His life is culminating. This doesn't mean that it's not a tremendously sad thing. And the Talmud says that the passing of a tzaddik is akin to the temple's destruction. All true. However, at the same time, it has a silver lining and a very powerful silver lining. The tzaddik's revelation is gone. His name is omitted, but his essence is there. You don't see him and feel him and touch him and hear him and get a dollar and get kaisho bracha, but his essential power is embedded in the world and in his people and in all the people. And it's, it's unstoppable. By the way, the base on this destruction was similar. Terrible, terrible thing. There's no more miracle. There's no more heavenly fire in the Shekhinah and all that revelation. And yet, though, we know the famous thing that the cherubs were intertwined and Hashem impregnated the Jewish people with essential powers to, uh, to bring them to greater heights to get through the egg. So with this said, let's take a look at footnote 76. The Rebbe says, I don't understand this Talmudic statement. Haman knew that it was Moses' death on the seventh of Adar. He didn't know his mother's birthday. Why should we assume he didn't know that? Nobody calls Haman a fool. He seemed to have his information. It, it's irrational that he knew this and he didn't know that. Also, why does the Talmud say that, that Haman was celebrating because he knew it's Moses' death, but he didn't know that on the seventh of Adar, Moses died and the seventh of Adar was born? What do you mean? The fact that he died, he did know. The Talmud should have written a lot shorter and more precise and more accurate, if you will. When Haman, Lot fell and Adar, he rejoiced knowing it's Moses' death. But he didn't know it was also Moses' birth. Why does he state the first part of the second line on the screen? But he didn't know that the seventh of Adar was Moses' death. He did know. Why, why do you have to repeat that? Also, the order. Death happens after birth. So it should have said he didn't know that the seventh of Adar was Moses' birth. He only knew that it was his death because birth comes before death. So the whole passage is very strange. 
And the Rebbe answers it in this fashion. There's no reason to assume that Haman didn't know when Moses was born. He probably had his facts. He knew when he was born. He knew when he died. Obviously, on a more mystical level, whether he did or did not know is not so relevant. But that's not the point that's being made. The deeper point that's being made, at least in a Hasidic level. He knew Moses died on that day. But what he did not know is the fact that when a righteous person dies, that's also his birth. He did not know that on the seventh of Adar, Moses dies. On that same day of seventh of Adar, of his death is also his birth, his rebirth. It's when he lives on. That's what's in his essential soul releases its power limitlessly and eternal, eternally to touch everyone everywhere all the time. And that's what he did not know. Maybe he knew the facts of the dates. He did not know that on the seventh of Adar is Moses' death. On that very day is Moses' rebirth, if you will, because by a righteous, the death is a birth. It's a culmination. It's an explosion of the essence beyond the name, beyond the revelation. This Haman can't fit into his evil head. And therefore, he figured out Moses died. It's a sad month. You might say the Rebbe is believing that Haman knew that he was born in that month, but who cares he was born? He since died. So his birth is canceled out. What he doesn't know is that he was that he died on that very day he was born. Not he was born 120 years prior. He was born on that day. That's how a tzaddik works. And this is what Haman did not get. And we as Hasidim hopefully do get it, that the life of the Rebbe continues stronger than ever. And very soon to have also the revelation with the Rebbe physically here on earth to take us out of Golis, to be with us physically in a guf gashmi, v'hu yigalenu, to redeem us from this Golis.